1: Hello again. This is the return of the Josh and Jeff podcast, which still doesn't have a name, but that's fine. And this time we're switching it up a little bit. Normally I record this from my living room floor and Jeff is in his little man cave in his home, but I am on or getting ready to do week number two in Arizona. As a matter of fact, by the time you hear this, I will probably be at a game in Arizona, probably be at uh, Sloan park watching a game Uh, So we are working on the second week of Fall League. So naturally, we are going to talk about standouts during the first week of Fall League. Jeff, you know, how how has your week been in general? Not too bad, Josh.
2: I'm a little bit colder here in Massachusetts, and I haven't had as much live baseball. I've been watching uh, quite a bit of playoff baseball, living vicariously through you, checking my Twitter for your new clips and asking you questions and checking box scores. So I am very interested because we haven't had like a a face-to-face conversation um about this yet so i am interested to kind of dive in here learn a little bit about you know who the standouts have been early um sort of feedback and rumors buzz what you're getting
1: you know (laughs) so many rumors but uh, (laughs) yeah it's it's definitely a little warmer here we've had more rain than i'm used to in the fall league a lot of lightning um there was a game there was the one of the first games i thought there's a legitimate chance it was going to be rained out uh because the the surrounding areas were covered with rain. I went home that night, and I felt like I was still in North Carolina because there were spots where it was torrential rain and strike lightning and wind, and that wind kicked up dust. So we had like a full-on haboob going. It was crazy. There's been every night where there's been at least a little sprinkle here and there. So I'm not sure what's going on in Arizona, but hopefully it clears out um, this week. So, with that, uh, we will start with some early fall league standouts. And if you've been following my Twitter at all, you know who I'm going to start with at number one. And that is Padre shortstop Jackson Merrill, who has my full attention. He, um, he, uh, he stuck out to me. I think I probably podcasted about it at some point in spring training as having a really pretty swing from the left side and hitting baseballs hard. And then, in, you know, he got injured. Uh, during the regular season and missed a whole lot of time came back and hit really well at low a and now he's out here and man when that young man hits a baseball it stays hit it, the swing is picture perfect from the left side the barrel is rushed through the zone with authority it's flat it's there forever and he just he rarely swings and misses it's really really impressive and uh, I mean, first week, first week, I'd say he's probably the best offensive prospect out here, um, and that's saying a lot, because there's some really good offensive prospects out here, but every time you watch him, you just expect one of those, like, thundercrack line drives, and then him to motor around. I got a triple the other night at Surprise that was just like, holy goodness, this guy is, is, has a chance to be something special. So the, the Padres may have some more guys in their system, shockingly enough. Jeff, what have you gathered about Jackson Merrill? Yeah,
2: I was going to ask you a little bit about the impact. I don't know if you've seen batting practice. That was really the only question for me. I mean, in terms of the hit tool, the bat to ball skills, the approach pitch ID, seems like it's all there. Um, in terms of the impact, I mean, what do you think, you know, present sort of tool grades are and how would you project that out? How are scouts projecting out the
1: power? I, mean, I, I have no question that if he gets the ball in the air a little higher he's going to hit some balls out and he's, again, when he hits it, it stays hit. I don't know what the exit velo numbers look like. And when I do BP here, at least early, I'm usually standing like with my nose against the cage. So I'm really not watching where the ball is going. I'm trying to not get hit with the ball. Like I did five years ago uh, when Lord Escorial checked his swing and hit my camera, which hit me in the face. So I'm mostly trying to do that. This week is more about watching, you know, where the ball goes. But as you know, as you know, BA listeners know, I'm a bit of a, a video slave. So that's what I'm doing is they'll let me get as close to the cage. But I me, mean, it's different. It, it's not – it's cliche, but it's a different sound off his bat. This is a special player. And mm. it, it, it hurt my soul yesterday to not go to that game. But I needed other guys from different games. And as it turned out, I picked the right one because uh, unlike – that particular game, this one I went to was Quinn Priester versus Joey Wentz, oh, nice. it was well-pitched. Yeah. And the first eight, five, six innings were like an hour <laughs> 10, which is which is exactly what you want when you're doing a triple header. I did Dodgers instructs in the morning, and then the Salt River game in the middle, and Scottsdale at night. So to get that that the meat in the middle of that uh, game sandwich, you can't be going three and a half hours if you want to get to the next one on time. But point is, Jackson Merrill is really, really fun to watch. And if he's out here, you know, the entire time, I expect he'll be among the candidates for the the league's player of the year. Uh, Another guy I really have enjoyed kind of um, maybe a little lower profile is Addison Barger with the Blue Jays. Another another lefty, so, you know, I'm, I'm on a lefty kick right now. But he also has hit a lot of balls hard, he had a two-home run game the other night. He and uh, Tyler Gentry are the only two guys who have hit two home run. I've had two home run games while we're out here, but he's stinging a lot of baseballs and with authority to all sectors of the ballpark. And he's been shifting back and forth shortstop and second base um, as needed by that day's alignment or to, to accommodate whichever other double play partner he's going to have. But he can move around out there. He's got. You know, he won best throwing arm, best infield arm in the Northwest league. I believe it was unanimous. I mean, it's a 16 league, but it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty rare to see someone win a unanimous category and he's shown it off a couple of times out here. He's a guy who's a little, you know, more under the radar I, and you do our blue Jays system, Jeff. So what have you heard about Addison Barger in your calls?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, Barger is one of these guys where, um, the last couple of years, the profile was raised pretty significantly. Um, there was a la- rather large jump in the power production coming out of the 2020 shutdown. There was some adjustments um, just to a steeper bat path. He's a pr- fairly steep swing. Um, you know, I saw him up here at the end of the year. Um, he was on an absolute burner with New Hampshire late, got uh, promoted to Buffalo after the end of the double A season. Um, you know, I think the big thing is just a really good all around profile. I've had a couple conversations with scouts and some internal folks on him. And I think just a big jump, he was a high school pick, Um, you know, I I know Tampa area high school, forget the name of which particular high school it was. King, Um, there we go. I knew it, I knew it wasn't uh, Strawberry Crest, but I knew it was like some somewhere around that that Tampa area. So um, I believe he had like a kid this off season, there was a big adjustment sort of in his approach. And I've just heard really good things about his focus and makeup and all that sort of things um, over the last year. And it's turned into results, all that power and and impact, the adjustments he made to the path kind of coming out of the shutdown. He was able to marry sort of the two approaches. He'd been a bit of a contact hitter that was a bit aggressive out of the zone prior to that. He's kind of able to curb some of the chases. He still chases a little bit. He is an aggressive swinger, um, but made contact at a pretty decent rate this year. Um, as you said, makes a lot of hard contact. Um, the upper echelon hard contact isn't like crazy, crazy. He's not a guy that's hitting balls 114 or anything like that. Um, but it's pretty consistent barrels and um, easy above average power, I'd say, in game. Um, that's pretty easy to see. The only question I have with him is it's a really aggressive, a lot of moving parts within the setup and the swing. Um You know, it's a pretty narrow base. He stands fairly upright. Mm -hmm. It's a very violent uh, leg pump, leg kick. I mean, he gets that thing up to like his chest. (laughs) He very much steps into it. Um, Aggressive pull side approach. But I think, you know, if if he can manage the contact and and the chase, he's got to impact there. And defensively, he can play shortstop. I'm not sure he's a shortstop long term. He's got an above average arm could handle third base and at worst he'd be a really good second baseman as you know maybe there's a little bit more demands on range at second base now with some of the shifting uh uh, modifications and rules so um i like barger a lot overall um he was a guy that didn't qualify for any categories when i did sort of the 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 stat cast like standouts preseason prior to the the afl and i had some blue jays fans yelling at me that i didn't include barger so
1: yeah, he's, he's here. We go making up for it. <laughs> and you, then you look at the season he had. Three levels. Uh, he hit three hundred eight, three seventy eight, five fifty five, with thirty three doubles, twenty six bombs, uh, forty eight walks, nine stolen bases, two triples. That's a hell of a year by a guy who flies pretty far under the radar. We we'll talked about those two guys, and we will talk about a few more guys right after this ad break, which is coming right now.
3: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
1: So, we're back and we're going to talk about a guy out here who really needed a rebound after a really strong season in 2021 and kind of an inconsistent one uh, that was spoiled a little bit by injuries as well. And that's Giants outfielder Luis Matos. Uh, 2021, he was outstanding. The reviews out of the 2020 season had been great. Uh, the 2020 non season, I'm sorry, the, the pandemic year, they talked about how he was showing off in instructs. He carried that into the low-A uh, California league. And then you sh- this year, at Eugene, he struggled a little bit early, um, which not surprising considering how cold and drizzly it probably was up there at that point, um, but the, the approach questions were real. He had tried to go from a swing-at-everything approach to a swing-at-much-less approach and got caught in between. There was also more of a try-to-hit-everything-out approach, but out here, he is tagging balls with authority, Um, he's got two bombs as well and his swing is i mean that barrel is in the zone a long time it's really pretty to watch and he can run he probably plays center field for you he's really fun um and i'm it's really uh justifying to know that you know how high i have him in the giant system which right now i believe is three and he's showing that that player is still in there after a rough season at at high and i think Part of this is to, you know, we, we tend to forget sometimes that it does take a while for players. There, there are certain guys we've been spoiled by who are in the big leagues right now who just rocketed through the minor leagues with little to no resistance. And that's just not normal. That's, that's absolutely not the norm. Those players are the exception to the rule. And Matos hit his first speed bump this year. And now in the Arizona Fall League, he's going to, he's having a chance to rebound and make up at best because he did lose a significant chunk to, to injury but he's starting to look more like the player in 2021 than the one in 2022. Jeff, what have you heard about Luis Matos?
2: You know, honestly, um, I've just sort of been tuning in and, you know, trying to catch up on some of the clips there and see if there's any differences in the swing. But, you know, during the season, I did see Eugene quite a bit, um, especially as they face Vancouver a lot, and I have Blue Jays coverage, and um, Vancouver was a pretty easy team to watch from coming home from the ballpark. Typically, their games are starting around the time that I'm returning home, so they're easy to tune into and kind of keep up with. Um, plus, it was the one Blue Jays affiliate that I wasn't able to see in person, so I tried to really, you know, watch a lot of them. Um, what I saw with Matos uh, was just really over, over aggression uh, within at-bats. It was swinging at bad pitches, expanding the zone uh, in, you know, one-strike counts, um, and then sort of really putting himself into, into bad spots where he had to make defensive swings or, you know, is maybe chasing stuff that he didn't need to. Um, so I don't know if there's been any adjustments there, if the pitching has just been so bad that he's been able to ambush a lot more stuff. Um, but from the swings I've seen, it looks like he's making impact. Uh, that was always a question with the, with the profile. Um, how has the plate approach been? Has the plate approach been better? Is he making better swing decisions or is he still, you know, loving to swing and 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 looking to looking to hack when he steps in the box there's a little bit of aggression there, but it's not crazy
1: he's, he's nailing the pitches he should nail <laughs> he's running the, the triple he hit the other day was a thing of beauty. it was tagged on a line and it just you know it was like a a two iron stinger to send it to the dead center field that he just motored. man was that pretty And the, the I think there's one of the, yes the, the home run I hit. It was a tear terror- I hit. <laughs> the home run he hit was, the video I shot was terrible, um, at least from my phone, because he hit it so far down the line that, and I didn't, I didn't catch it off the bat. And he, I wasn't sure if he was pimping it or not because he kind of stopped. And I guess he was just looking down the line. So I stopped the video, but you could see the swing and you could see him kind of dance up the line. And then I'm like, oh, that ball went out. Oh, it would have been cool to have him trotting around the bases, <laughs> just, uh, you know, chalk went up uh, for a failure for the bear. Yeah. That'll happen sometime. <laughs> but um, you know, he's been really impressive, and one of his Scottsdale teammates has been really impressive too. And Chalker, you know, the Oriole system is pretty darn deep right now, and it's the best it's been in a long time. We have it number one in the game, and that's not just because of Adley. Adley doesn't really count anymore. No. Um, and, but you know, Gunner still does number one overall prospect. Uh, no, uh, yes, yeah, number one overall prospect, Gunner Henderson. What are you knowing?
2: I'm shaking my head at you for not immediately saying Gunner, sir.
1: I'm yes. Offended. Gunner's Gunner's fantastic, uh, but there's a lot more behind him: Grayrod, Connor Norby, uh, Jordan Westberg, Jory Colton Cowser, Colton Cowser, Cesar Prieta, who's out here. Say Westberg yet? I did say Westberg. Hey, Very Cesar Prieto is out here showing off really great hands and he had one of the most impressive at bats he was a 14 pitch at bat against mason miller who throws very hard um and he battled he fouled off multiple 101 to 102 pitches that were bearing in on his hands he just kept making contact he grounded out but he's 14 pitches off the guy like i've got a bunch of slow-mo of him you can't tell it's 102 from slow-mo but I've got him fouling all those pitches off. I was just looking at that at bat, I'm like, holy cow. And last night at Scottsdale, he was throwing off some really nice hands at third base and the armor stick there. He had a fun year. But again, we're talking about his Heston Kierstadt, who obviously has had a rough go um, for a lot of reasons since he's become pro. There's been, obviously, the pretty famous bout with myocarditis. Um, there were some non heart injuries this year that kept him off the field. So he's really just not played a lot. He hit a bomb the other night that it might be the longest home run i've ever seen in fall league and this is the 10th fall league i've done which just makes me feel old but also blessed because fall league is the best um but he hit a ball at scottsdale that if you're out here it you know he went i think it cleared the bar in right field which is an absolute tank and then you know you think okay he's just you know ambushing something next at bat he goes with a pitch away and lashes it down the left field line. Like, okay, this is a pretty complete hitter uh, and one maybe who uh, was worthy of his draft position. Last night, he made really loud contact. Um, it landed in the pitcher's mitt, but <laughs> line drive contact nonetheless. He's been really, really impressive out here, and they're, the, the Orioles are really justifying their number one farm system ranking. Jeff, thoughts on Heston Kirstad?
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, I've just been excited to, to see him, you know, playing well, Um, you know, his season started out well uh, until Marva, he hit there. Like a lot of Orioles prospects this season, he didn't really hit all that well in Aberdeen, but you know, if you look at um, some of the splits between some guys like Colton Kowser and a few others, it seems like Aberdeen was the hardest place to hit. Like it was easier to maybe hit in the majors for some of these guys then it was in Aberdeen for whatever reason. Which,
1: minor league park factor story coming out. I believe while you're listening to this, it'll be up on BA.com.
2: We're going to have to check those park factors or at least the league's park factors and kind of look at some of the series and the places that he played and how much that impacted him. But uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see this because I, I, I thought in terms of the bat, this was a guy in 2020, um, even before he had gotten sick and, and dealt with all the injuries, et cetera. This was a guy that maybe got robbed of a, like a great final collegiate season. I mean, you know, before the year shut down, he was the hottest hitter in college baseball by a mile. It seemed like every game he was stepping up to the plate, hitting the ball out, you know, knocking a couple of doubles. You know, it was like two for fours, three for fours, if I remember correctly. The numbers were great. Um, and he would have been a guy that probably would have been able to prove himself and, you know, built the stock a little bit more. Obviously, he didn't hurt his draft position. You know, he gets drafted highly, you know, ends up with the Orioles, gets sick. It doesn't work out, but it's great to see him come back, have initial success. It's even better to see him um, at sort of um, a benchmark like the, the fall league and producing, which I think is a very uh, age appropriate sort of step, which is something we sort of need to see from Kerstad with all that he's dealt with for him to sort of make it up, show that he still has those those hitterish qualities, plus the impact that he has. Um, I think that's a big win for him it's a big one for the Orioles as well. As you said, this system keeps getting deeper, particularly with positional talent. Um, you know, they're loaded right now. They have so many good players, even guys that are sort of on the periphery or they're 30, they could have some major leaguers, some relievers too, some guys that we're not even talking about some sort of under the radar arms, Watson, you know, armbrooster, some of those guys that could turn out to be major league pieces as well. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, another guy that, um, uh really kind of been really intriguing out here is Billy's outfielder Johan Rojas. He, I mean, he does he doesn't fit the, the profile of the guys we talked about as big-time power guys. They are working with him out here to catch the ball more out front with more impact. But w- the, the skill set he has is the classic spark plug, you know, top of the lineup guy who's gonna you know, turn and burn and slash it around and you know just you know set the base pads on fire and he's the best defensive outfielder in this league by a long shot. He made a play the other night that I heard about, I read, I didn't get to see it. I picked the wrong game, but there are people raving about the full extension diving catch he made in center field. He just, he's got range to both sides, back front. He can do a lot of things out there. I mean, he, he, uh, walked and stole a couple bags, I believe in the game I saw, and then bunted for a hit, got the first and three, six, uh, he can fly, and if you get him on the base pads, he is going to terrorize your pitcher. So he's he's one of the you know the Philly system right now is super arm heavy with Painter and Abel and McGarry, but you know and this guy's right there as your top uh, positional prospect with their first rounder Justin Crawford. He's yeah he's he's a fun watch out here, and they've also got his polar opposite Carlos De La Cruz, who is six foot eight. And as powerful, I hope he's in the home runner because he's going to lose a lot of baseballs. <laughs> he might have to make the Fall League, you know, uh, spend a little bit more money to get baseballs because children are going to wind up with most of his. Uh, but he is, you know, he has every bit of power that would befit a man who looks like he does. Swing decisions have to come, pure and simple. Uh, it's they, they admit it freely. The swing decisions are not great. He's not super confident against spin or anything. that's not a fastball. But if he can do that, then you're gonna have someone really exciting. And he moves way better than you would think for a guy who's six foot eight and, and built. He hit a, a triple the other day, aligned it into the, the right center field gap and was really smooth around the bag. It's like, oh my, this is, a, this is not what you'd expect from a, a hulking individual such as himself. Jeff, do you have any thoughts on Mr. Rojas or Mr. De La Cruz?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, I saw him play next to each other uh, for a series in Hartford toward the end of the season. Um, I was really impressed with De La Cruz just from a um, a bat-to-ball standpoint. Um, though I think the swing decisions are bad, he's also one of these guys where, like, what your limbs are that long. <laughs> and you can do that to a baseball Um it takes a little bit longer for you to sort of learn not to necessarily chase out of the zone. So obviously when he's six, eight, his plate coverage is crazy. It's going to lead to some long limbs too, but um, his ability to consistently make contact was impressive for me in the series that I saw. you know the numbers back this as well, as you mentioned, the powers there, he's just a very free swinger, very aggressive approach. Um, but it's a very interesting profile. You don't see almost any players who are six foot eight. You see, very few players who are six foot eight and athletic that aren't pitchers in baseball. And, uh, we have one here, so he's kind of an interesting guy to watch. Uh, you know, he was, um, fun to follow, uh, you know, sort of as a, as a, um, uh, a player that I saw, um, this season and just, you know, sort of, um, getting acquainted with what his skill set was and, you know, sort of what he was able to do as for Rojas, um, he's an 80 athlete. I mean, this guy is probably among one of the more athletic players in the minor leagues, I'd say Um, standout defensive player. The speed is, is phenomenal. Um, And it's explosive too. really quick first step and like burst out of the box. Um, He's always been able to get on base. He's actually the opposite of Baylor clues where he's had a really good approach. Um, But it, but at times, you know, the, the impact hasn't been there. He gets, sort of settles into that inside out sort of swing looking to go the other way, which fine, you know, I get what your skill set is, but um, you get him to the point that he was a guy that could turn on one and, and could at least drive balls consistently to the gap Um, with his speed and his wheels, you know, he's going to be standing up on second
1: base a lot. Yep. He's just, as soon as he gets on base, you know, okay, he's gone. (laughs) He's he's going, I've been trying to get the slow-mo video of him stealing, and I keep failing because yeah, he'll, he'll go and the dude will get plumped. It doesn't matter. Or he would be fouled off or something like that. But he is just so much fun to watch. Um, I've really enjoyed however many games I've gotten up the mountain here. Mm. And now we'll talk about probably the most famous pitcher in the fall league. And that is Kamar Rocker, who made a start on Tuesday. Uh, his first start at all as a Ranger. He has not started in instructional league. He didn't start in the regular season. He threw a couple sides, bullpens, whatever, in instructional league, but when he got on the mound on Tuesday, it was his first ever start uh, as a professional. The results were mixed. Um, The slider was pretty good. Um, It it got a lot of his swings and misses. I think three of the, uh, the nine strikes he threw were on that slider. Um, the fastball command was not there, but the delivery was, uh, different than what it was in college. Um, scouts out here are not big fans of it. Uh, and overall he looked like a guy who was pretty rusty and understandably so it's been a while. Um, I know Jeff, you watched the video that I posted of him. I'm sure a couple other people have too. What did you think of Kamar Rocker?
2: um you know i think the biggest thing that stuck out to me is the arm slot was a little bit lower than the last time when i saw him um but the biggest thing was really the the side shots that i was seeing i don't know if it was you that had the open face or somebody that had posted open face video of rocker and you could see um you know with with um uh, with his back leg drive he was disconnecting he was sort of leaping onto his front foot um which was which was odd um you know it it just seemed like he wasn't creating the same level of ground force and consistency um but at the same time you know he was sitting five to seven so the power was there um the command as you said wasn't I, i i didn't get to watch so obviously i i couldn't give you any true context but um the way that back leg worked and just sort of the leg block and everything else that he was getting into, it just didn't look great. Um, But, you know, once again, sometimes funky things work, you know, if, if he's consistently throwing strikes and holds velocity, who cares if it's ugly. Um, But, you know, he, he, he didn't have command so that, you know, it it makes you question a little bit more. Um, We've also seen three or four different arm slots from this guy now in a couple of years um that's obviously not great with you know some of the the medical questions and checkered medical history that we know of um so i don't know you know i don't know what to make of it i as i said to you um we chatted about it offline i kind of feel like i want to i want to give a little bit of a mulligan and see a few starts in what this guy looks like if he improves if he builds up we've seen that happen before um when I saw him, you know, his first indie ball start, he looked good, but it was an indie ball start. You know, my expectations personally were pretty low for, for Rocker, frankly. And he came out, he had the power, he had the slider, he was throwing the cutter as well. It seems like he's only he only threw one breaking ball based on the numbers that I saw and then what, what I had heard
1: from folks that you mean one it. type of.
2: Yeah, but he only he only threw like really like the curve ball or that sort of gyro curve thing that he's throwing. Um, some people probably call it a slider. I call it a slider, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know? Yeah. Um,
1: and, and so it's kind of interesting. And in, in truthfully, for context, as far as like observations out here go, surprise is a terrible place to watch pictures because behind home plate, there's a little kind of cave where the media stand or where, you know, you're raised up. Yeah. You're super raised up and you're, you're on a down angle. Um, fortunately, tomorrow uh, or today when you're hearing this podcast, We get to see him again, and he will be at Scottsdale, which is the exact opposite. You can clamp your camera right to the little bar behind home plate, and you'll get as good a shot as you will anywhere in the country uh, of pitchers. So that should be fun. And no, Jeff, you did not see my open face. I tend to, if I'm going to do open face of a pitcher, I want to get him in a second inning so I can see the first. And he only threw the one inning. So. I didn't get him. Yeah,
2: somebody had synced it up, and you could really see, like, his drive leg. Like, it was just, like, it disconnected from the rubber really
1: early. And he was more of a leaper as opposed to a driver, you know. And you'll get some slow-mo open face of him tomorrow. There will be some strobe effect, since it will be a night game. And uh, it is at Scottsdale, which will produce plenty of strobe effect in those lights. But, yeah, he's been, um, you know, he's certainly the most um, famous arm out here. Uh, there's been some other ones, you know, I think you have been Christian Chamberlain's biggest uh, fan in the office, not to say anybody downed him, but you, you know, you are. I mean,
2: he did have a six ERA, so it's not, <laughs> I don't think anyone's beaten down for that uh, designation internally.
1: No, but the Christian when...
2: Chamberlain guy besides Jim. So you,
1: you are, you are <laughs> an, an under the radar Oregon State fan with your lover, Christian Chamberlain and Cooper Jerpy. So, oh, yeah,
2: man, I love the Beavers. What can I say?
1: Yeah, you love the Beavers. But Chamberlain's pitched a couple times out here, and I can honestly see what you're what you're talking about. It's really the command is not there. I mean, no. especially <laughs> of the break, especially of the breaking ball. Like it's it's not great. But if he can, and that's what the, that's what player development's for. If he commands this, he can be lethal. Like his fastball moves in such a way that it's going to be tough. And his curveball, if you can get, if you can consistently land and bury that thing, and get it to have a consistent shape, you're going to have a really really impactful arm I, I am i summarizing what you like about him? it looks like yeah i think it's rare, just like... the
2: angle the angle from the left side mm-hmm. um really unique release char- uh, characteristics he gets you know sort of movement for the unique re- release characteristics that he gets so it's an interesting combination but it's just like you know um it very much works in 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 practice and theory but we haven't seen it um you know in the professional ranks yet really work. so Um, I I really like the stuff like I said you know he's a he's a a low launch and a flat VAA type guy but uh, you know I I want to see a little bit uh, better command so maybe he'll be throwing strikes on them out there
1: you know yeah and it's not even uh, I think I think I should more emphasize it like I want to see that curveball look consistent Like it's just you could get fooled by thinking it's two different pitches just by the way the shapes work but he's, I, I, I definitely see what you're talking about where he's, he can be a really fun arm. Um, and I'll go with another guy with your hit list. Will Wagner out here is a guy you brought up in some conversation at some point. Um, Early in the year. He's, he's, he's hit some balls really hard and, had, and raised some scouts' eyebrows out here. So he's a guy who is on the radar in corner, corner uh, infield profile. Making contact befitting of said profile. Jeff, we we'll go into more detail about Billy Wagner's son.
2: Yeah, and um, yeah, this is, uh, you know, should be Hall of Famer, Billy Wagner's son. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he, he's a guy who played four years, I think, at Liberty. Um, what he stood out to me for was the contact and the approach really early on with Asheville, I think he was with, if I remember correctly, right? Mm-hmm um probably right yeah I think he was with Asheville and uh got the promotion up the impact was something that they knew they had to work with him on um if he's making harder contact more consistently that's great um you know that was the one question they had Maybe played some third you know maybe he's a second baseman long term I don't know you know um but in terms of the bats of ball skills the plate discipline and you know it was like fringe average you know like 45 power is what he had so if he's bumped that up to 50 55 with a good hit tool and like 60 approach those guys when they click and add a little bit of power uh that could be a really nice profile that's an everyday player you know and maybe an you know above average
1: offensive player too so just to review here um we talked about a lot of players i will just go back and re-emphasize jackson merrill is that dude I had a scout reach out to me and said, is he, um, is Jackson Merrill your next Chorio? And, uh, (laughs) which is funny because I had just gotten done describing him to someone else, as far as my my love of him as Jackson Merrill is the white Chorio. So (laughs) that's, that's where I am in terms of excitement about that guy, but there's, he's not just the only one out here. Who's really exciting. There's lots of really fun players out here. And if you get a chance, I mean, it's, First of all, you will have open seating. There's not a whole lot of people that come to these games. Some of these crowds make the Florida State League look populous, um, but you're not gonna see too many better collections of prospects in one, you know, hour or so radius in, in one city than you will here. And I usually call it a future or three futures games every day that may be overselling it, but there's a lot of really fun players to watch. So I, I would recommend it. And my, my thing is always like, I'm going to do this for two weeks. If, if we had, uh, if I had my brothers, I'd be out here for all six weeks, every year. <laughs> I wouldn't, I would get tired, but You're I would timeshare Josh. I wouldn't get tired of it. Let's put it that way. Like I, I, there are days where I come home like yesterday. I was at fields from probably 10 AM till 10 PM. But, uh, you are tired, but you're not tired of it. Like I'm really fired up tomorrow to see. We didn't even talk about him, but we'll talk about him on a feeder podcast. I'm going to see Brian Wu again tomorrow, um, and then I'm going to see Rocker again. And I don't know what the pitching matchups look like the rest of the week. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, but it should be really fun. Um, there's some other arms that I really want to see, maybe a second and third time. But if you can tell by my voice, I'm really excited <laughs> about the Fall League, and I love it very, very much. And it's cool too. Oh, we didn't even talk about it the challenge system is really interesting. So they're doing the the ball strike, automatic ball strike challenges like they did in I think, the Florida state league. And I think Tacoma and Charlotte this year. Yeah. where You can, if you don't like the home plate umpires call, you can kind of tap your head and he will do whatever he has to do to his uh, earpiece and the ball strike and the track man will read off to him, either c- confirm or uh, overturn his call. But and that's, Cool enough, but the fun element that they've added is on the video board. Um, and this is only at Salt River. The video board, they will say the call is being challenged, and then it will show a 3D um, approximation of the strike zone and the flight of the baseball, and, you, and it will, you know, if it's, it will show exactly where the ball was, and it will say ball or strike, and you can hear the players on both sides going, oh, and then either yeah or no as you know, depending on what they were trying to do. And it's it's pretty interesting, like there was a guy, there was a call the other day that he called it a ball and they challenged it and it was a ball and it was a ball by maybe a stitch. And I was like, kudos to you, um, you got that right. And that was incredibly close. Uh, I will continue to stump for umpires and say, it's probably the only profession where you can be right 98% of the time and still stink. <laughs> still have people think you stink. But if you're out here and you're at Salt River, you know, keep your eyes peeled for a challenge. And if you do look up the video board and if not, check my Twitter, jnorris427. I posted a video of a little animation on the screen and it's pretty cool. And if we do bring it to the big leagues, they really need to incorporate that because I think fans would be engaged. Um, I think that would be very, very fun for our game. As much as people want robo-umps, that would be the one cool part about it. Any final thoughts, Jeff? I know you Yeah, fair. I
2: wanted to ask you if uh, if you're aware of what the hardest hit ball and when it occurred in the fall league thus far has been over the first no, week. I don't
1: have I don't have access to your secret numbers. I'm not I don't have the key. I was
2: told I, I, I don't have access to any secret numbers. I simply I simply have sources and I ask questions. But um, Reese Hines had hit a ball 114 miles per hour. When was um, that was on uh, the sixth. So, what was that Thursday? Yeah, probably. Mm, yeah, it, it would have been uh, against Peoria, top of the ninth. Oh, it was a it was a single. It was a line drive single against a ninety three mile per hour fastball.
1: Hines went uh, oppo bapo last night in the game. As I was writing down, you, know, Reese Hines continues to be Reese Hines. You know, huge power. Uh, still a lot of swing and miss. But then he, you know, yoked an Oppo home run. It was really impressive. So I, I didn't. I was gonna be surprised if that was 114 off the bat. But no, um, I would have guessed Kierstad's liner, liner back to the box last night, or his home run. Um, I would have put Jordan Walker's home run the other night over it, hanging slider from Quinn Priester that he sent to the stratosphere. Kind of weird too that he was playing in that game. Jordan Walker's center field. Looks like you would expect maybe for Jordan Walker from center field. Not, it's, it's not the best out there, but he was playing center field and left fielder Tyler O'Neill was out there out of nowhere, who I'm guessing was rehabbing in case the Cardinals uh, advanced in the playoffs, which they obviously did not. But out of nowhere, Tyler Tyler O'Neill, a veteran big leaguer, and you know people will ask me on Twitter, like, you know, isn't that against the rules? To which I will always say fall league has rules but it doesn't you can pretty much do whatever you want out here because it's a farm yeah there's
2: big leaguers that take part as like rehab things all the time
1: I mean, yeah it's but they're not supposed the to like it's it's there's always rules that are written and then you can find several ways they've been broken and just because it's, it's a league run for farm directors by farm directors yeah uh, big hands and and you know uh, sculpting this major league, it's a major league baseball run league, not a minor league baseball run league, although those lines have been blurred significantly with the realignment. But yeah, I looked at the lineup while I was sitting in the morning on the Dodgers instructional league game, which maybe we'll talk about later. But like Tyler O'Neill, <laughs> what is that a coding error? Because I know there have been coding errors in the past, which have led to uh, strange assignments for the fall league that was just someone meant to type in like a 50508 and they typed in 50507 and uh i thought it was one of those cases but no i showed up at salt river and there he was so imagine my surprise but anyway that's been we've talked for a long time jeff this is probably one of our longer podcasts and again you can hear the excitement in my voice arizona fall league we got five more weeks i got one more you'll be out here in a couple of weeks and kyle glazer will be out in next week for the championship uh so for josh that's me in mesa arizona uh that's jeff in massachusetts saying see you later
0: after the end of a good fight you deserve a nice cold reward medela the mark of a fighter you've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp refreshing taste because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward you put in the hours the energy the tough labor you are a fighter medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.